it's going to keep appreciating. You may not be making a ton of money on your on your investment immediately, but you will over time. And if there's problems that arise in the meantime, like have confidence in yourself that you can figure it out. Like my initial model of it being like a four bed, one bath with minimal rehab, like it was giving me a decent return, but like really just like trying to figure out what is the, the highest. So in development, we also say this highest and best use of that property, figure that out. And cause it'll be worth the investment it takes you to get there. And you know, you can actually beat other people with your pricing if you actually can figure out the highest and best use. Welcome to the Invest Nest Real Estate Investing Show, a community for real estate investors to learn, network, and grow. Be sure to join the investnest.com and start learning and earning today. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Invest Nest Real Estate Investing Show. As always, I'm your host, Travis Murphy, and we've got another great invest guest joining us this week. Britt Hodges is going to join us and talk to us about her real estate investing journey. She comes from a construction background, turned architect, now turned Burr investor. Britt can be found at Brits.buildings on Instagram, and stay tuned to her story in just a minute. Before we begin, for those of you that are watching on YouTube, I apologize for being at a different studio. We are out of our normal studio this week. We had to kind of pull this podcast together abruptly, but we're making it work. I will be back in our normal setup next week. So, And also, if you're listening on the podcast or watching on YouTube, be sure to hit the subscribe button. We release our podcasts every Wednesday morning and always have a guest that joins us and talks real estate investing. So be sure to hit the subscribe button so you don't miss out on any of our upcoming podcasts. You can also follow along on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at The Invest Nest. And of course, check out theinvestnest.com. It's an online community of real estate investors. You can create a free profile, upload a picture in a bio, and start networking with other members on the site. Before we get started on the interview, I also want to remind everybody, I want to hear from you. I want to hear your feedback. I want to hear your comments. If you have any questions, shoot them my way. I'm going to start reading them out, reading them on the podcasts. And you can send those to info at theinvestnest.com or DM me on any of our social media platforms. Okay. And now it's time to get started with the interview. All right. And now it's time to welcome this week's invest guest. Britt Hodges is going to join us with at Brits.buildings on Instagram. And Britt is a architect turned investor out of, I believe, Brooklyn, New York. And she's going to share her investing story with us today. Uh, Britt, welcome to the Invest Nest. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Me too. I know we've gone back and forth for a while to make this happen. So I'm, I'm glad we were able to connect finally. I'm interested to hear your story and I'm sure many of our listeners will enjoy it as well. Before we get started, how are things going? I know you just had a big move. Did everything go good with the, with the move? I, I know that can be a headache sometimes. Yeah, it's a headache, especially in New York when I don't have a car, but it was good. Fully moved in, still living in a pile of boxes, but it's done now. It's all that matters. It's done. I'm in, in my new apartment. <laughs> Very cool. Well, congratulations. And I know I think everybody can understand how the challenges of a move can go. And I think that's the best way to tackle it. You just bite the bullet, get the brunt of it done, get it, get it over with, and then it's behind you. And use your friends as slaves to get it done too. <laughs> that's right. Friends are critical, especially if they have a car and you don't, or a truck and you don't. So yeah. uh, very cool. All right. Well, uh, let's get started. So you have a very interesting background from what I've read on you and have seen on your Instagram page. It looks like you come from a background of home building, which is very similar to mine. Can you let our audience know just a little bit about yourself before we get too far into the backstory? Just tell us about yourself and what you're currently doing with real estate? 
Sure. Yeah. So I'm an architect and during COVID, I decided I wanted to get full-time into real estate investing and kind of take my financial independence into my own hands. So I've started burring and I decided on a multiple suite of reasons, but I've been burring actually out of state back home in my hometown of Kansas City and been trying to self-manage from New York City. Okay. Wow. Self-managing. Now we hear a lot about out-of-state investors. I think you're the first invest guest that I've had on that does out-of-state managing. So we'll get to that in a minute, but first tell us a little bit about your background and you know what were you were doing before you were investing in real estate and, and you know how things kind of came to pass from what you were doing before to what you're doing now. Sure. Yeah. So I guess go way back to architecture school. I decided to be an architect. Um, I came from a background of builders. Actually, my grandfather and my father were both home builders in Kansas City. I never met my grandfather because he passed at a young age, but my dad, I grew up like going to see model homes and not really always on the construction site. You know, it was like my dad never really expected me to get into construction, mainly because he strongly recommended I don't actually. So he was like, okay, you can be an architect if you want, but architects suck and they're always running the project, blah, 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 blah. So I was like, okay, well, I'll still gonna be an architect. Sounds fun. So got into architecture and have learned a lot via just being an architect. It's totally different than actually even talking to my dad what he did with home building because what I do is mainly like larger scale developments, multifamily, not you know single homes that are um, on a plot. Also, I work in New York City, so the typology is completely different. And all the, the, the detailing, the construction process, the stakeholders, everyone's completely different than what you would be doing in like, in a, as a single family home in Kansas. So <laughs> I've learned a lot through the process. And yeah, and then I started getting into investing um, as an architect you don't earn that much money, <laughs> actually. And so I was realizing that, you know, I need to take my finances into my own hands. And mainly during COVID, wanting to do that full, like realizing that, hey, I need to, I need to make the step now. Because I thought about it for a while, but never had enough time to really dig into it. And then I decided to take the full plunge okay. the past few months. Okay. Okay. I'm going to get into that in more detail in just a second. But so... Your backstory is is very similar to mine, actually, which is funny. Like, I don't meet too many other people that kind of come from that home building style upbringing, you know, family background. My dad had me on the job sites. He didn't take me to too many of the model homes. He more or less had me out there sweeping out houses and picking up trash to, to get started. Unfortunately, he never told me to not get into into construction. I kind of wish he had, but, <laughs> but, so I can understand probably where your dad was coming from. And I definitely can relate with the whole architect getting in the way of things. <laughs> no no offense yeah. to you. I don't think that's, no, that's what you I... do. But from a, from a builder's <laughs> perspective, we rely on architects, obviously, for a ton of reasons. But at the same time, sometimes they want to do a little more than needs to be, I think. And that's probably probably something about it has, has something to do with what your dad was talking about. But with all that said, you know, you getting into architecture is is really cool because you got to see it now from both sides. So you got to, you know, you got brought up in the home building and construction side of things. And now you're seeing it from more of like a business 
from a more of a business perspective. And being in New York, it is different, I can imagine, than just like a spot lot or an infill lot with a new build or a spec home. You guys probably have multiple layers of development review process that you have to go through. I'm guessing there's probably demo involved because there's not a lot, you're not making more land. And I don't think that there's a lot available in, in Brooklyn. So I guess the point I'm trying to get at, get to is that you must be really learning or must have learned a lot about that whole process, not just architecture, not just home building, but even some of the, from a developing standpoint? Um, I was, you know, I, my dad never really pulled me into it. Actually, when I was young, we'd go to model homes, but once I got, my dad also, sorry, stepping back, he didn't really get me into it. He was, I think, didn't want me to get involved in construction. And although I was, I grew up on construction site as like an infant, you know, just like smelling paint fumes and rolling around in formaldehyde carpet. Like other than that, I really didn't experience the construction process. I I would see it, but my dad never really tried to bring me in as like his protege that would take over the company, you know, like that. I think he actually, so my, my grandfather passed away at a young age and my dad, you know, we think it's because he was so stressed. I mean, it was the... 70 late 70s when interest rates were crazy and leverage was the leverage was just out of control for home building so um, my dad really I don't think ever really wanted me to get into what I'm doing now but hey he's encouraging me right now but at the time I think growing up he wanted me to be a classic dad be a doctor be an attorney you know do all the classic stable jobs but I liked construction. Um, I liked design. I really loved design. I actually wanted to do, be an arts, do an art school. And that's where I kind of met in the middle. Like, hey, I'm actually, I know I love um, like math. Um, and I, you know, maybe they, maybe there's some good middle ground here. Um, so got into architecture that way. I wouldn't, I, I would say I've learned a lot. I would learn a lot mainly from working here. And my dad has taught me I guess my dad probably did give me the basis. Like it's easier for easier for me to approach. It was easier for me to get into architecture school because I already knew that there was like basic understanding of like what is a stud and what is a door frame, you know. But other than that, I wouldn't say my my background has really given me a, a leg up because I all because he didn't really try to pull me in. And I'd say growing up, I um, kind of didn't really pay attention to it either. Well, it yeah. sounds like though you were drawn, you were drawn to it. It seems like it's in your in your DNA, more or less, in your blood. Whether you're at, out on the job site or you know drawing, you know, or putting up the pieces together or project managing, you've got the insight to construction. And it sounds like to me that might be what helped translate into investing. And that's mm-hmm. kind of where I want to go to next. You said COVID was really that moment or that turning point which spurred you from thinking about investing in real estate to actually doing. Can, can you tell us, mm-hmm. tell our listeners a little bit about what happened there and what it looked like when you actually decided to start investing in real estate? So yeah, I would say it's a little complicated, I guess. I got into investing because of COVID, which was, and the reason why was because my my company, um, our product project actually it was um, not going well <laughs> because of COVID. And so it probably should have deterred me actually from investing all my savings in real estate, but it didn't. <laughs> so our project was going down south and I was worried that I'd get laid off because people were getting laid off. I got a pay cut and I was just like, I need to take my finances into my own hands right now. So I had, I had saved up over the years. I was always interested in real estate investing 
but I was looking more at like the syndications type of things, like in like looking at like Meta Credit Investor, so like Fundrise, all these more accessible ways to invest in real estate. But then I was like, wait, why don't I just do it myself? I have this background. I'm an architect. It's different than someone else who's just like, I don't know, an accountant who doesn't know the construction industry. Like I have a leg up. I should actually be able to take on these risks. And, you know, if I get fired, then at least I'll have something to do. (laughs) That's a good way to look at it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's where it really came from. And I had a lot of more, I had some more time. And I will say that there's probably, there's a little bit of angst and um, anger (laughs) that this was happening. So I was like, you know what, I need, I just need to do it myself. Uh, So yeah, I looked at actually doing buy and holds, just like turnkey stuff. And then again, I was like, wait, why am I doing this? The returns aren't that great. Even talked to my bosses about it. And they're like, you're not like, but returns decent, but like not for the risk you're taking. You're like, I'm like, yeah, you're right. So I looked into doing Burr and I was like, well, that makes sense because I don't have a ton of capital and I would like to keep reusing it. And if my goal is that I can replace my income in five years, then I need to accelerate. Um, so I decided on Burr and I decided on Burr in Kansas City because I cannot afford the Northeast. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, that's, that's, there's a lot there. I'm going to try to unpack. So, you know, what you're talking about burring as opposed to maybe some of those early deals that you were looking at, I'm guessing that's, be, you know, because you'd have to put down a large chunk of money as a down payment to buy a, a property which the returns might be okay, but then you're out of capital and you only have one investment or one or two, however however far that got you. And then you have to wait for that capital to reload, which could take a while to, you know, build up the reserves. So you, you are looking for the Burr uh, uh, method, which will allow you to recycle that capital and continue to buy. For those of our listeners that are not familiar with the Burr, basically uh, as a quick overview, you're buying with cash, below market value, a property that needs to be renovated or rehabbed. And you buy it with cash, you fix it up. The ARV, you got to do the math, but the ARV has to be enough to return your capital and your improvement costs and still be at your 70 or 80% loan to value of what the appraised value comes in when you're all said and done. So what happens at at the end when you're done, you refinance on a long-term fixed mortgage um, and you get the money back that was used to purchase the property and fix it up. But now you have that money to go and re- and do it again. That's what Britt was talking about there. And that's what you decided to do. So can you tell us what you're doing now? You mentioned Kansas City. Are they single family, duplex? What are your invest- like? What is your target investment that you're after? I've been looking at single family. And part of, there's a few reasons why. First of all, it's way more manageable. And I didn't want to deal with tenants, like usually with multifamily, you're inheriting tenants. And during, you know, COVID, during the eviction moratorium, I was like, that's not something I'm interested in dealing with. I'm very conflict averse. I don't like dealing with that. So I did, I decided to do multifamily. I also wanted to self-manage for as long as possible. No, I mean, I know it's never going to like kind of last forever, but for as long as possible, I do not want to give away 8% of my returns. So um, I'm trying self-management, which is easier when you have um, single family, I think, because people feel but feel like it's theirs. You know, I've also picked tenants that want to stay there long-term, like and usually like younger couples. Both of my tenants are younger couples and they see themselves, you know, sticking out there for at least 
two years, it seems. So to me, it was like, okay, good. Maybe don't know how to you know, change a faucet or whatever, but I can, I'll be able to, I have a few handymen on call that I've um, networked with that can do that. If that's, I, that's what I was going to, that's what I was going to ask you. So to manage re- remote, one of the biggest, I think, hurdles that I would think you know, would imagine would, would be that there would be there would be the maintenance issues or mm-hmm. especially even like emergency maintenance issues. So I guess you just kind of answered it, but you have somebody or some options in that market that when something comes up on your property, you can call them and, and rely on them to get it addressed and taken care of for you. Yeah. So I've made some connection while I've been there. So like my first spur, I was actually doing it. I did all the rehab myself. Um, so when I was there, I had, I hired some help and some, some of those people, you know, were like, they're trying to get more work. So I made connections there. And I also have a contractor that I'm pretty um, close to who's also can help. And then I have my parents, like all else fails, you know, I can buy them a glass of wine. <laughs> Maybe a bottle. Buy them a bottle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's cool. So, that's cool. so that's, this is starting to make more sense now. So I guess during COVID, you have downtime, you identify this property in Kansas City, and it needs work. You've got all this construction um, knowledge uh, and architecture background. So now it makes more sense. So you went, you actually went out there and you did the renovations. Did you kind of, were you out there swinging a hammer or were you project managing more or less? Both. I mean, I do not know anything about renovating a house, honestly. Like architecture school does not teach you that. My job right now does not teach you that. It's very different. And I had no idea what I was doing. Um, I mean, I did know more basic things than like some people would when they just started. But I mean, I knew what sheetrock was. I don't know if that really is a leg up, but it is, I guess, in a sense. But I I YouTubed everything. <laughs> So I, I didn't, I did hire a lot out though. Also like, um, I did a lot of the demo. Um, my mom helped me actually. It was like kind of our pet project. <laughs> I wouldn't say, I don't know if pet is the best word for it because it was like pretty expensive <laughs> big renovation, but it was, it was pet like we did a lot of ourselves. I hired out the big stuff, you know, like painting the exterior, which I didn't want to do because it was a two story building and I don't trust myself and I don't, we don't have a paint sprayer and hired out a lot of the, we hired out the electrical work, which luckily I have I had a connection for a retired electrical engineer who actually, you know, didn't actually know how to rewire houses because he didn't need to ever do that for his job, but he understood the basics of electricity. So he was retired and just like having a good time with it. And I, I hired out some, like I had to re roof um, a portion of it and restructure the you know, roof because it was sagging and leaking. I hired out the floors. So you, it sounds like you did mostly project manage then. And I'd imagine, I think you did already mention this as well, that that's, you probably, you know, found some contacts by doing that. So now when, if the roof is leaking, you, you know who to call because you already hired out the roofing. And, you know, if there's an electrical issue, I, I don't know if you're calling, you know, the retired electrical engineer or not, but point is, is that you have people and that's, that's the beauty about investing out of state. Even if you're t- taking on the property management aspect of it is that it's really about having the right partners and components in place, whether it's a local realtor to that market that can identify the properties for you and put the offers in for you, a contractor to do the renovations or contractors to do the renovations, then a local lender typically is helpful so that when you're ready to go and refi out, you've got somebody there to take care of returning your capital on the back end. 
And then in most cases of property management, but if you're, if you're taking the management on yourself there, you can go on and on down the list of the, the different people that you would need involved there as well. But the point is, is that it's almost like once you have these pieces in place, it actually becomes easier. You know, I think uh, one of the challenges that people I think face when they're getting into real estate investing is that it seems like this, it's this huge daunting endeavor, right? And another issue that a lot of people have is actually delegating, right? It's natural instinct for us, you know, as people to want to take things on ourselves, but at the same time, it's kind of like a catch 22 or a double-edged sword because we want to take everything on, but then that's what scares us from doing it in the first place. By actually investing out of state, you don't realize it, but you're really delegating all these different responsibilities, which once you have done that and put those pieces in place, it becomes actually easier and, and allows you to scale. I think, I think I found that it's easier for people to scale their investing business when they're doing it out of state, as opposed to doing it locally, because a lot of the times we get in our own way, you know? So, so that's really cool. And it's, it's, it's really making sense now from your architecture standpoint or viewpoint of getting in there and probably laying out your units in a way that not only are functional for, you know, your tenant, but probably uh, I would imagine some architectural flair going on in there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's what I love about it is adding my architectural flair and well, really it's the finishes. There's not much flair going on. And that's what I think would be fun for flipping because I could add more flair and just like trying to find durable materials and timeless materials, but still fun. Well, maybe I, I've got a flip going on currently. Maybe you can help me with the finishing touches. I'd love to. <laughs> And I, you were mentioning earlier with your job, how you do the developing aspect. My partner and I are actually looking at a piece of property that's residential right now with a single, one single residence on it, but it's got a potential to be subdivided into 16 townhome lots. So I don't have a lot of experience with the developing side of things, but if we get, you know, we're kind of agreeing, have agreed to terms on it, but we're not under contract yet. It's actually... It's, it's like a curveball got thrown at us at, at us at the last minute where when the person, the, the owner sold a parcel of the pro- piece of the property off a parcel in the past and they, in the contract, when they sold that, the buyers have a right of first refusal if they sell any additional land. So now that we're, we have our offer and these other person who bought a parcel in the past has the right to buy this one before us. Anyway, so if we get under contract, I may be hitting you up for that as well. So I might have, uh, I might see if you can help me with the finishing touches on my flip and then help me get this piece of property developed into townhome lot. So I think we'll be in touch, but back to your investing, let's get into kind of the nitty gritty of the details of what you've got going on right now. So it sounds like you're pretty new to investing. How many units are you up to? Two. Two, two yeah. single families and, and you, you bird both of them? Bird both. I am mid burr on both because I mean they're finished. They're all stable, both stabilized, but I haven't finished refinancing either of them. But the, the first one I'm refinancing should close June first, so you know in six days now, six seven days, and that one was a curveball. And that's we don't necessarily get into that. It's just annoying, annoying why I couldn't refinance earlier. And was it the seasoning period? No, it's been eight months since I um, first closed. It, it was because I'm a renter and because I had roommates and we split the rent, but the, the lenders are really, they actually, Penny Mac doesn't um, recognize splitting of the rent. They, they saw me as owing the, the full least, rent liability. Yeah. So. so it was your DTI that was holding you back? Yeah. That's income. Yeah. But see, that's, that's so 
you know, there are lenders out there that will lend specific to investment properties, but the rates aren't as, as you know, are not as, as friendly to an investor or to your bottom line, I guess, more or less. If you go that route, they have higher rates. So you were going, sounds like more of a conventional, but they're looking at your income and debt ratio, which is odd because you're not even the one living there and paying the rent on it. But it sounds like you're getting over the, over the hurdles. And what about the second one? Is the, is the refinance on the, for the second one on the horizon? Um, second one, I my six month season isn't until August, and honestly, even right now, I, it's hard to find deals, and I think it's also hard right now to compete with flippers because they're just grabbing anything. And so, I'm okay with waiting the summer out. Okay, so you're going to get both of these refied, and you're going to kind of pause unless a deal lands in your lap. I'm guessing. And then, what are your goals from here? What you mentioned five years? Are you, you know, your backstory? It sounds like you know COVID hit, and you had realized the risk of working for somebody else, and the fact that your finance, you know, your finances are out of your control, and that's what spurred you into investing. You mentioned five-year plan or five something about five years. Is that your goal to have your W-2 income replaced by your rental income within five years? That is my goal. We'll see if that happens, but that's my goal. I want to be able to at least um, be financially independent enough that my expenses are covered and therefore can do real estate investing or what I would like to do is development full-time. But right now doing development with a full-time job doing development doesn't really work. So I am hoping to be able to have free time maybe in five years. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, it's, it's, it's all about that financial independence, financial freedom, time freedom, time independence. It's to be able to do what you want to do on your own terms. And, you know, developing is great. That's where like a lot of the big money is. So maybe before you get the opportunity to quit your W-2, maybe we can partner up on a development deal in the meantime. That'd be cool. <laughs> all right. I very cool. So now I want to ask you, if you don't mind, do you have a pro- one of your projects. Can you go over just a little bit detail how you fund, you know, give us the detail of the deal. One of your favorite deals. I don't, you know, first one or second one, how did you fund it? Did you have to do a full reno? Just give us an overview or a snapshot of of one of the rental properties. Sure. I'll go over the first one just because it's the closest to being done. So I bought it. I bought it from a wholesaler, I guess you would say it was a double close wholesaler. So it wasn't like an assignment situation. So basically the wholesaler will close on the property and then they'll sell you it. So you're basically paying double closings, but in my case, it was still a good deal. It is in a really good area actually of Kansas City, like in a decently up and coming family oriented neighborhood. It's, it was a little single family, four bedroom, one bath. So my plan was to add a bathroom. And I, because it was still during COVID, I moved to Kansas City and just worked remotely out of one of the the bedrooms there, med rehab. I mean, it was literally, I remember running meetings for my job and there was someone with a saw in the next room. And I was just like, oh my God, it, like this is not working out very well. And I was really hoping it and my boss would not complain about it. But yeah, so it was, it uh, was probably two months. It was actually two months exactly of rehab. And we did a lot. We added a bathroom. We rebuilt the roof, completely redid the kitchen, new floors, repainted really everything. I mean, it was, it was something that hadn't been touched probably in 50 years. Like they hadn't, they, it, it was very old and um, dilapidated. 
So that, and I did a lot of it myself, but I also hired a lot of it out. So that was also good meeting contractors. And I also interviewed different GCs, so different contractors who would run the entire project for me, just in case, knowing that I would never hire them because I was anticipating being there for a while to do it myself, just to save money um, and to get to the experience, but um, just to have future contacts for my next deal. Yeah. And then, so after I finished, it was like two months of rehab. It was Christmas time, literally like a week before Christmas, we were done with rehab. And I was like, okay, fingers crossed. I'll find someone. Cause I have to go back to work after um, New Year's. Like I had, I had to be back in New York city because my boss was getting antsy and like context is that we're still like in the midst of layoffs. So I was like, I can't piss them off that much. Um, so yeah, uh, I, it was Christmas time. I was hoping to be able to rent it out myself without paying a full month's rent. Cause again, it is, a nice area. So the rent was actually pretty high and I don't want to pay that full month's rent if possible because I was already also over budget. (laughs) So I did find someone pretty immediately. I mean, this guy was trying to get in before Christmas um, because he was mid-divorce, wanted to have like a home for his kids for Christmas. And, um, you know, I fell for it (laughs) and he moved in and he moved in for a while um, he did end up actually breaking his lease, but I put stipulations in there that um, if he did break it, he'd have to pay a full month's fine. Um, so he did pay the full month and everything went smoothly. I actually replaced him like within a week and there was no vacancy whatsoever. So it all turned out well, thanks to my good friend who lives in Kansas City, who was my realtor for the day, probably illegally, and helped me find a new tenant. <laughs> but Very yeah, and cool. now I'm about to close on the cash out. Nice. And so how did you fund that project? I actually got my parents to help pay for it as a private money lender. So they're getting, you know, a standard return, um, you know, just without the typical fees. So I I paying them like a 10% annual and they're getting their cash back with this cash out also. (laughs) Yeah, no, that's good. I mean, 10% is good. And that like, I think that in of itself is a challenge that people think is impossible to achieve where, you know, private money, whether it's your parents, a family member, a friend, anyone, people that are sitting on capital or have either have cash in a bank that's not generating any return for them or have access to a home equity line of credit or whatever at a low rate, you know, if you're getting 10% on your money. That's not a favor. That's a business transaction. So private money, it's great because, you know, like you said, it saves you on fees. And it also, if you're going hard money, you know, you have to go through their underwriting process. Whereas if you're using mm-hmm. private money, you're more or less the underwriter. So you kind of decide on your deals and not at, or not at the mercy of anyone else. Right. So that's very cool. And now, like, now that you're done your refinancing, are you going to be able to recapture the majority or all of your original capital? Or are you leaving any, any money in the deal? I'm leaving almost nothing in the deal, actually. So my so I, my paying my parents back with their return because it's been delayed a little bit. So I'm paying them a little bit more. So I'm actually I have a little bit more stuck in there and paying off my credit card. So I got a zero APR credit card, nice intro intro rate of zero percent, and so I'm paying that off. But yeah, I'll be almost. I think I'll be like thousand dollars stuck in the deal, making so I'm making cash flowing. At the end of the day. After I cash out refi, it'll be probably like three hundred dollars um, a month, and that's assuming a PM fee. So, if I didn't have the PM property manager fee, it'd be even more. Um, but right now, I mean, 
the rent is $1,600. So very good. good. Yeah, that's awesome. Congratulations. So real quick, just back to the loan. So you you basically got this as just like a secondary residence income as opposed to a primary primary residence. Yeah, I bought it as an investment property. But since I bought it in cash, you know, there was no loan initially. But now I'm refinancing as an investment property. Right. Okay. So that makes a lot of sense. And now you're getting all that money back to $1,000 more or less, which is which is great. And that means you must have really known your numbers well. You know, and I talk about knowing your numbers and, you know, making sure that you're comfortable with a deal. What about the deal? What gave you the confidence to know that you'd be able to return all your capital? Did you have a real estate agent help you with the ARV beforehand? Or, you know, how, what did that uh, part of the process look like? I did not have a realtor at the time. Um, I just looked on Zillow and did a ton of stalking of all of those websites, just looking at like literally every day, just like seeing what the ARB would be. I also was not confident. I almost backed out the deal. Like as soon as my bid was won, I was like, no, like freaking, honestly freaking out. I was like, if if I can afford this property, then like, why is no one else getting it? Like, why is my, is my number too high? Like, how, you know, I just had immediate doubts. I literally told them I w- wanted out and they're like, well, wait, you already signed the, I mean, we already have the contracts, you know, you already gave your earnest money deposit. So you can walk if you want. I was like, <laughs> thank God I stuck with it. Cause it is a great deal. But at the time I was really freaking out. I think also, you know, you know, the market right now, it's appreciating like crazy. Like even since I've got my appraisal for the cash out, there's more comps in the market that would make my my property worth at least $10,000 more, which is like insane. Like also for Kansas City, appreciation isn't crazy there. So it's just like really insane. Yeah. I mean, and honestly, if you hadn't gone through with it you and you wanted to try to do it now, it would only be that much harder because the market is very competitive right now. And you got in right before things were, I mean, things were already hot, but things really yeah. have gone crazy since. So that's, I mean, I think that's a natural, you know, issue that we all have as well, that apprehension. You know, we always feel like we're missing, am I missing something? Like you mentioned, why didn't anybody else want it at this price? Why was my bid one? What am I missing kind of thing that other yeah. people are seeing? Whatever it is, like, I think naturally, as investors, especially you know newer investors, it's easy to find reasons not to go through with the deal or not to to find what's wrong with it, you know. But seeing through all of that and identifying the opportunity that's there and just being confident in yourself, you know, that's really the one of the bigger challenges that we all face. But once you once you do that, when you take action, you build up the courage and you bust through that wall. I mean, you tell us, is it in hindsight, is it easier than you thought it was going to be? Or was were, were some of those concerns that you had put the rest? I mean, obviously you went on and did it again a second time. So to an extent that must, that must be true. Yeah. So at the time when I bought it, like, you know, first of all, I was freaking out. Second of all, I wasn't anticipating doing as much work as I ended up doing. I didn't want to add a bathroom. I was like, that's going to take, you know, five to $10,000 more. That's a lot. Anything, anything can go wrong in the meantime, but I did decide to add a bathroom. So value add, like, you know, I was like, I'm going to be there. If I'm going to do it. I'm going to like, I might as well do it now because I'm there. And I know it's like four beds and one bath is just crazy for anyone. And I know that <laughs> in New York, like get all the minis you can. So that was, I definitely think that that was a good decision because I was, I was looking to just put like lipstick on a pig, you know, just like as minimal updates as possible. And I'm glad actually at the end of the day that we really did everything. And now I don't have any 
like my tenants don't ask for anything because everything's done. What else was I going to say? Yeah, I think that was like mainly it. Just like also just, you know, everything is you can figure out anything. If anything goes wrong, if you're like, wow, this like maybe I made the wrong decision, like this price is too high. You know, if you're not completely off with your numbers, like, you know, crazy, like I think you're gonna be fine if you're especially if you're buying hold. I would say flipping is probably different, but if you're buying hold, it's gonna keep appreciating. You may not be making a ton of money on your on your investment immediately, but you will over time. And if there's problems that arise in the meantime, like have confidence in yourself that you can figure it out. Like my initial model of it being like a four bed, one bath with minimal rehab, like it was giving me a decent return, but like really just like trying to figure out what is the, the highest. So in development, we also say this highest and best use of that property, figure that out. And cause it'll be worth the investment it takes you to get there. And you know, you can actually beat other people with your pricing if you actually can figure out the highest and best use. Yeah, no, very, very, very good stuff. Very good stuff. You know, adding that extra bathroom, highest and best use scenario is probably what helped you achieve the, the burr and executing it because it gave you that higher appraisal. So whatever extra time and, and expense it was to add the bathroom, I'm sure it, re- it sounds like it repaid, you know, repaid itself and then some. So that's, that's very cool. Very good stuff, Britt. This has been a great interview. Before I let you go, it's time for our segment advice from our invest guest, where I'm going to ask you three questions. It's the same three questions I ask every week. Question number one, what's one thing that you can recommend to our listeners or to people out there who have not started investing in real estate yet that they can go out and do right now that will help get them on the path to investing? What you can do right now. I mean, if you're not already consuming tons and tons of information, which you already should be, I would talk to, I mean, it depends on what your investment strategy is. Like if you're doing Burr, I would talk to contractors because I feel like that's the scariest part about Burr is the rehab part of it. Talk to contractors. You can talk a big game. So you have like a ton of things on the pipeline. It doesn't matter. Just like get their information under, like see what they're looking for in a project and have them walk a property with you pay them to do that because, you know, be nice to them because they do, you know, it is an investment for them. It'll be worth it. Like you should be doing, especially when you're out of, if you're doing anything out of state, you should be, try to be as boots on the ground as possible. Try to understand that specific market because things can be different no matter where you are. Like if I didn't claim to be from Kansas city and I was just like a New Yorker coming into Kansas being like, like in my earrings, like pretending to know what I'm doing. Like, I'm sure that I would, you know, being taken advantage of, especially as a girl. So I think you, you know, try to find out as much as information as you can talk to contractors, of course, talk to realtors, they will definitely give you tons of information. But I think contractors are like the hidden gem of info and it'll be hit or miss. Some of them, especially right now are probably super busy, but if you pay them to walk a property with you, they will do it because it's super easy for them just to walk a property. Yeah. yeah and then yeah, ask them tons of questions. No, that's, that's good. That's good. I, I like that. It's not just research, but it's also taking action and actually going out and just going through the motions. Even if you're not ready to actually buy something, going through the motions and going through the actions, it's, you know, that's what always we always say, like in investing, it's like everything that you're worried about an in investment usually isn't what actually, you know, what ends up being the challenges along the way, you know, mm-hmm. and, and 
getting out and walking properties within contracts, even if it's not a property you're planning to buy, you're going to start to get used to that going through that motion. And like, I guess what I'm trying to say is, is like something that you might've been worried about on this property. If you walk it with a contractor, the contractor might bring up something totally different that you were thinking about. Like you might've been worrying about a sag in the roof, which was nothing. And the, the contractor points out that the thing's covered with like peeling and chipping lead paint or asbestos siding that you're not factoring into your, your cost. So going and doing those, going through those motions is going to only help, you know, educate you and help, you know, take that learning aspect to the next level. So good answer. Yeah. Well, Quite- also to back, piggyback on that, like, and also another thing that's easy, I think to do is get your realtor to get you the inspection reports from properties that have already been on the market or that are, you know, back on the market due to the fault of the buyer or whatever, because those you'll also learn similar to what the contractor would tell you. It's going to be, you're going to be like, oh, okay, the inspector sees that and set, like, especially if you don't have background knowledge about construction, sees that. And that means that there's wood rot Okay. Now, like now, you know, if you ever walk a property, that means wood rot, you know, like, or just like, you know, really dig deep into those as well. No, that's a great, that's great advice. Cause that's a huge resource, you know, for our listeners, either what Britt's talking about, sometimes a property will go under contract and the buyer hires an inspector, a building home inspector to walk the property and prepare a report. And for whatever reason, sometimes that buyer will back out or they don't get financing or whatever. A number of reasons can call, cause a deal to fall apart. But in most cases, the seller is able to, if they backed out due to the uh, due to something that came in the report, the buyer has to give the report to the seller. So the buyers, the sellers end up without a buyer anymore, but they do have the building report. So that's a great tip. You know, reach out to properties that have come back on the market and see if they have their inspection report. Even if you're not planning on buying that property, you know, your realtor can reach out and it doesn't matter if you are or not interested. It, you know, there's a good chance you'll get a copy of that report, read it, start to understand it. And it, over time, by doing that, you're going to be able to identify what home inspectors are looking for. And, you know, you may not be able to, you know, down to the detail, but as an overview, kind of start to, uh, you know, know what to look for. So good tip. All right. Question number two, looking back, if you were to start back over again, what, is there one thing that you would do? Is there one thing you can point to that you would do differently if you were to start over? I would say get started earlier, or I wish I bought more deals a year ago, at least because things have appreciated like crazy that I just wish I had, I wish I took like a little bit of a risk and gotten like a hard money loan or something just to pull some properties that I had been that I was like, Oh, my bandwidth, or I don't have enough money right now. I, I wish I did at that time. Yeah. So just be aggressive. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a common, that's a common answer to that question. You know, take action, start earlier, you know, and like we, like I mentioned earlier, you know, it's easy to find reasons to not, to not do something like, like you just mentioned, mm-hmm. don't have enough bandwidth or you got, you're not gonna be able to have the funding, you know, it's, 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 that's the easy part, but pushing through that and making it happen. I mean, we can even say that right now, as hard as the market is right now and as, as difficult it can, it seems to be to find good deals a year from now, we may be sitting here saying the same thing. I wish I right. bought deals. So, you know, I think just taking action is 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 the point to take from that answer. And, and I would have to agree. Question number three, do you have a, a book recommendation for our audience that you would rec- you know recommend or suggest that they go out and listen to or read? So I would definitely recommend The Millionaire Real Estate Investor, I think is what it's called. It's a blue book. I'm a very visual person. That's all I remember. It's blue. <laughs> it's a black text. It's a really good book. It's very pragmatic. I got tired of all, like I love mindset, but like when I was first starting, I just, I was like, 
I, I have the mindset down. I want to do it, but I just need to know how. So um, that was really like encouraging for me. Also, I'm like really love math. So it's helpful to like, okay, this is how you run the numbers. And like, this is like a good metric to understand. So that, I think that book was really good. Um, it also teaches you how to scale, not just like how to get your first deal. It's also like, this is, this is actually how you grow an empire. Yeah, no, good answer. Cause that's, you know, a lot of it is mindset, but once you have that mindset and you're committed to do it, you also need to start educating yourself on actually how to go out and do it, you know? So <laughs> that sounds like a great recommendation. Okay, Britt, this has been a lot of fun. I really appreciate you joining me uh, on the Invest Nest. If our listeners or our audience wants to connect with you, how can they find you and how can they find out more about you? Instagram is probably the best. My Instagram is at Brits Building, so B-R-I-T-T-S period B-L-D-G-S. Got it. <laughs> Perfect. And I'll find me with a hard hat. Awesome. That's my, yeah. That's awesome. I'll put I'll make sure I put that link down in the show notes so our listeners can find you. I recommend you go check out Britt's Instagram page. She's sharing her journey and she's got a lot of good insight on her deals and her properties that she's investing in. So go check it out. Britt, this has been awesome. Thanks so much. I know it was a challenge. You're a very busy woman. You've got a lot of things going on. So I appreciate you carving out the time to join us on the Invest Nest. And I wish you the best of luck in your real estate investing journey in 2021 and beyond. Thank you. It's been great. Great to meet you too. <laughs> Likewise. Thanks for it. And I also want to thank all of our listeners for tuning in again this week. I hope you guys enjoyed that interview with Britt as much as I did. Go check her out again on Instagram at Brits.Buildings. She's sharing her journey of investing and it's a lot of good content that she puts out. So go give her a follow. You won't regret it. I also want to thank you guys for tuning in. Of course, be sure to hit the subscribe button. Give us a follow on social media at The Invest Nest. I know our audience is growing. I see the numbers going up. I really do appreciate everybody tuning in. Spread the word. Hit the subscribe button. We love the engagement. I want to hear your feedback. So I appreciate you guys tuning in. We'll be sure to see you next time on The Invest Nest Real Estate Investing Show. As always, I'm your host, Travis Murphy. And thanks again for joining, everyone. Thank you for joining us on the InvestNest Real Estate Investing Show. Be sure to join the InvestNest.com and start learning and earning today.